0: Hello and welcome to episode five of Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. We're bringing you a roadmap to build a better Congress. My name is Nick Bushkar, and I am joined by the co founders of Elect 535, Michelle Olson and Rena Schner. Hey, Rena. Hi, Nick. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Nick. As always, we're joined by political journalist Angela Carbone. Hi, Angela.
1: Hi, Nick.
0: We have a lot to cover today as we are discussing all things redistricting. As you may know, the United States Constitution dictates a census be held every 10 years, which in turn sets the amount of congressional districts each state has. States then redraw the lines of their districts based on the updated data. This entire process has far-reaching consequences, and the team is here today to dig into the specifics. To kick us off, Michelle, can you elaborate on this process?
1: Absolutely. So we filled out the census forms last summer, and due to the pandemic, the counting of those numbers and the tabulation of all the details has been severely delayed. So whereas in past census years, we have had the results of the census in the beginning of the year. We just recently got the top line numbers for the census, which has allowed us to know how many seats each state should get, and the numbers within the state have not yet been determined. That said, we do know how the census dictates the congressional districts will be divvied up among the states at this point, and there are a total of seven states that are losing and six states that are gaining congressional seats, one of which is gaining two. Um, Among those that are losing are California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. All of those states will have one less congressional district. Among those gaining congressional districts include Colorado, Oregon, Florida, Montana, which will go from one to two, North Carolina, and Texas, which is gaining two congressional districts. Now the interesting thing is to look at how the political lines are drawn among those that are uh, gaining or losing seats. Five of those seats that are being lost are in states which voted for Joe Biden in the last presidential election. Two of them voted for Trump. Among those that are gaining, two Democratic states, and then four Republican states. Texas, however, having two, there are five congressional districts that are moving to Republican majority uh, districts. We'll talk about how that impacts the presidential election, which is sort of the most straightforward of those later uh, in the podcast. However, what it does to the congressional districts is a little less
0: obvious. Do we have any sense of um, how many people completed the census? What what are the results uh, coming out of 2020?
1: So, how they determine how the congressional seats are divvied up is actually a pretty straightforward process. They take the total population, which in this case was about 331.5 million people, and they divide it by 435, which is the number of congressional seats that are available for distribution. And that's roughly 762 million or I'm sorry, 762,000 people per congressional district. And then they see how many units of 762,000 there are in each of these states. And those that are closest to that number, you know, or furthest away from that number, they lose or gain seats as appropriate. Um, Now, That is so every single congressional district has to have roughly 762,000. So, even though we're looking at to start with the states that gain or lose electoral college seats in congressional districts, we also have to look at what redistricting will do across the entire map of the U.S. because there are population shifts within states that didn't actually move lose or gain seats, and those population shifts will have to be adjusted in their redrawing of the lines as
0: well. So what are the results from the census coming out of 2020?
1: Well, as
2: Michelle said, we had 331.5 million people counted. Um, And every census tends to raise some questions as to how accurate and how complete the censuses are. Um, Every decade there are technology changes, Uh, for example, in 1940 census takers were told they had to visit every house, building, tent, cabin, hut, which was a bit of a a change, and then they entered that information in a book. Then they had to take that information and re-enter the information on punch cards so it could be sent through a sorter. Uh, So that kind of technology was different than 1930. Um, And then in 1950, the census shifted a bit and started counting Americans who were abroad and servicemen who were abroad. Um, But 2020 gave us some more complications. And the major one, of course, was the pandemic, Um, the door-to-door census taking, particularly in areas where census wasn't returned by other meeting means, which which is what modern census taking tends to be. Um, that door to door was suspended. Uh, a lot of people relocated during the 2020, and at that point, some of pe- some of these people will relocate permanently, but others won't. So that throws off where those people are when the districts are being drawn up. Uh, students weren't at college; they were at home, so they were being counted at home, where perhaps they vote in the district that they that is where the college is located. Um, and then there were other factors, uh, like the interference of the former president, who tried to institute a citizenship question and stop the count early. And neither of these these Options came to pass, but they shed a lot of negative light on the census for a lot of people. And there were also some factors about people being displaced by huge hurricane season on the on the East Coast and wildfires on the left on the <laughs> on the West Coast. And uh, also there was a lot of civil unrest, which may or may not have have contributed to whether people were being counted. Um, So, I mean, how complete is it? The Census Bureau does their just demographic analysis um, and they take uh, birth records, death records, uh, immigration totals and Medicare enrollment and work up an estimate of what they expect to get when they take the census. And in 2020, it was only slightly lower the actual census numbers were only slightly lower than the middle figure of the, of the demographic analysis. In 2010, the census was just slightly higher, but none of those numbers are statistically significant. Um, we still don't know whether there were any other miscounting, like in 2010, after the demographic analysis was done and after the census was done, there was a further analysis and uh, found that one million black Americans were not counted, and other Americans were counted twice. So that could have a big big impact on redistricting. Um, And one of the big issues, and and Michelle alluded to it, was that the, the data that's going to be used for the actual redistricting won't be released until the end of September. So several states sued and the state of Ohio reached an agreement with the Census Bureau that the census is going to be releasing what they call um, what they call a legacy format of the census which will be a far less detailed the data will be in raw form and tables and other tools that the, the census usually Releases won't be done until the end of September, which Michelle can talk about when the uh, districts are going to be withdrawn and what kind of a thorny problem that is. Um, so, accurate or not, in some ways, you know, you gotta you gotta dance with the guy who brung you. What we've got is what we have to deal with in terms of of redistricting.
0: So, I have a question. And, uh, of course, we're talking about this in the context of um, the congressional outcomes, but does this have any impact on, let's say, the presidential race?
3: Well, it certainly does, will will be, because the uh, number of uh, electoral college each state gets equals the number of congressional representatives, that means the House representative plus the two senators. So... Now, some of the states, let's say Texas, will have two more, uh, and New York will have one less, West Virginia will have one less. So the net is, the, it, there is a uh, gain, a net gain of three electoral college votes to the Republicans. So if the elections were held today with those new census numbers, Biden would have got three less electoral college votes. And the other guy would have received three more. So that's kind of the probably the most clear and easy to understand impact of the census. If the vote stays the same the next election for each state, that's how um, the, the impact will be based on the Electoral College net gain.
1: However, the impact on the congressional races is far
3: less straightforward. Correct. The impact on the House, let's say, is way less straightforward. So, for example, you would think, okay, so does that mean that the House would have a net gain of three Republican representatives? Not at all. Let's take West Virginia as an extreme case. West Virginia lost a seat in the House, West Virginia only has Republican congressmen and women so therefore uh, West Virginia would lose a seat the republicans will lose a seat so that's straightforward it's less straightforward in other states let's take first Texas Texas gained two seats of course the questions where these and how these new districts will be redrawn with the additional two districts it may be that a lot of the population is around Houston very heavily democratic if so you would think that you would gain maybe at least one or uh, maybe two democrat seats but of course how those districts will be drawn it's a whole different question which we will touch upon a tiny bit later Um, Another example is New York. New York famously lost the seat by 89 votes, which as a reminder to all of us, fill up the census. Every vote matters. But uh, that loss seems to be in upstate New York, where there are more Republican districts than Democrat districts. And Michelle, who is from that area, can give you a bit more insight. What's going on on the ground? Well, I'd like to actually go back to Texas. Actually, um,
1: so as you say, it's very unclear what's going to happen in Texas. They have two new demo- they have two new seats. It's a Republican legislature. It's a Republican uh, governor. Texas has a long history of. Uh, gerrymandered, redistricting, it was made famous back in 2000, I think it was, um, when they first redid their, their districts um, in a very unfair way. Democrats. Uh, And right now, Texas, as of 2013, is no longer subject to the Voting Rights Act, which was in place at the last census and then was overturned later on in 2013, which was the the beginning of the end of the Voting Rights Act in which uh, districts were protected uh, in their redrawing in those southern states where there was a history of districts being drawn to disfavor uh, minority populations so that's going to
3: really shift the
1: playing field
3: in texas and michelle who is making the decision of the redistricting in texas because that's also varies state by state yeah and that that right and there's no independent commission in
1: texas it's a republican legislature It's a Republican governor, and the lines are drawn by the legislature. Uh, And the only one who can veto that is the Republican governor. So there's no doubt that there will be lines drawn. The silver lining is, of course, that there is a whole lot more attention being paid to the redistricting, and there are lawsuits all over the place right now. In fact, Florida is in a similar situation where they're gaining another seat, um, and they too have... Desantis in the legis in the governor's seat and a Republican legislature, and it's and the lines are drawn there by the legislature. However, the Florida State Supreme Court in 2015 ruled that the GOP-led legislature at the time had to redraw their lines from 2010 because they did not have sufficient transparency. So they are aware that. People are watching, and already Eric Holder has created a new group in Florida to counter the, the gerrymandering that the Republican legislature is already starting to rally around in that state.
3: And in contrast, who is making the decision,
1: let's say, in New York? So New York... I, I, yeah, you had brought up New York earlier. So, again, it's a democratically held state. The uh, governor is a Democrat, a you know, very famous one, as is the state legislature. However, they have a hybrid system in place where there's a commission that draws up the lines that's theoretically nonpartisan, but it does have to be approved by the state legislature. So, ultimately, ultimately, the state legislature has control there. What will work in Democrats' favor in New York is that it seems at this point that the large chunk of population drift away from the state was occurring upstate, which is generally held by Republican legislators. So I think that they will be justified in redrawing their maps such that a Republican district is eliminated as opposed to a Democratic district. We'll have to see because we don't have those detailed numbers yet. And it's hard to imagine in the pandemic that there wasn't a huge shift out of New York City. Uh, But at this point, we may be seeing one less Republican seat
3: in New York. And we have to also uh, make sure we pay attention and we remember that all the districts may be redrawn, even in states that had no gain and no loss of seats because of shifting of population so Massachusetts we have nine congressional seats I mean now ha- nine, nine House representative and we stay with nine but those districts may be withdrawn. Of calling in Massachusetts may not make much of a difference currently they are all Democrats and so however they are withdrawn may not make uh, any difference but in other states it may make a difference and the key is also who is in charge of drawing those lines and how they will be then biasly or not biasly redrawn? Another interesting
1: factor at play here is where the incumbency will be. So, for instance, in Georgia, they have a rule that you have to file for your residency address one year before the election if you are to run in that district because they have a residency requirement for your district. It is likely that the district lines in Georgia will not be determined by that deadline date. So the incumbents that are currently in the House will have to make a bet as to where they think those lines are so that they're on the right side of the line in their district. If you remember when Pennsylvania was ruled to be gerrymandered back in 2017 and the state Supreme Court ruled or ordered a commission to draw fair lines, uh, and this was how Western Pennsylvania was redistricted, and we had two Republicans running in the same district, and one of them was eliminated that way. You will see all kinds of things like that. I expect this redistricting season to be one hot mess. The lines won't be drawn until people... Will be until it will be too late to move, and they will be still fighting over what are the real lines when people are running for primaries and even in the general election in
3: twenty twenty two for states that lose a seat, it reminds me of musical chairs right I mean yep. somebody will not have a chair question is who is that
2: most states have have yet to to uh, determine their schedule for drawing new districts, which by now they would have if if the census had gone to, in the normal course of events. But uh, there are some that have put in some provisions uh, as as a possibility, but most of them have not. They don't know what to do.
0: I think an important thing to bring up now and elaborate on is uh, gerrymandering. And uh, so... Just to sort of give an overview of that, gerrymandering is the act of drawing district lines to favor your party. And the word gerrymander comes from good old Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gary from 1810, who drew an oddly shaped district. And one critic said it looked like a salamander, and another said, no, it looks like a gerrymander. For some reason, mispronouncing the G sound. Uh, I don't know why. And... Uh, Basically, one of the best ways I've heard this described is instead of voters picking their representative, the representative picks their voters. And so the basic premise is an attempt to pack or crack a district. You can draw a district that packs in large amounts of voters from your opposition party in order to waste their votes. Or you can crack an area by splitting same party voters into multiple districts so their vote power is diminished. And this all works because people are reasonably predictable, and especially in today's era of strong partisanship. So some real-world examples of that are you have in 2014, 56% of Pennsylvanians voted for Republicans in the House of Representatives, but 13 of the 18 districts were won by Republicans. So Republicans gained 72% of representation, but with only 56% of the vote. And uh, another absolutely devastating example is North Carolina in 2018. Republicans received 50.39% of the votes for the House races, and Democrats received 48.35% of the votes. Republicans won nine House seats, and Democrats won three House seats. So, to be very clear, Democrats won almost right under 50% of the vote share and only won 25% of the representation. That is terrible. (laughs) And to me, should seem obviously wrong, no matter your party politics, to any reasonable person that cares about fairness in this system. And so, as you can imagine, there have been many lawsuits to try and fight against uh, all of this. In 1986, 2004, and 2006... The Supreme Court ruled that partisan gerrymandering was justiciable, meaning it could be ruled on, but they couldn't agree on a constitutional standard against which legal claims should be evaluated. And so then in the 2006 ruling, Justice Stevens introduced the idea of partisan symmetry in that the electoral system should translate votes to the representative seats with the same efficiency regardless of the party. And so then in 2014, you had University of Chicago professors Nicholas Stephanopoulos and Eric McGee develop what they called the efficiency gap, which is a means to measure the number of wasted votes in each district. So as a really easy example, you take uh, 100 votes for Republicans and 80 votes for Democrats. So that's a total of 180 votes. You subtract 80 from 100, which gives you 20. And then you divide 20 by the total amount of votes. So that's 20 divided by 180, which comes out to 11%. So that's the amount, uh, that's the efficient, that's the gap that they're saying. There's a uh, amount of wasted votes is, is at 11%. Uh, and what they determined was that anything that exceeds 7% basically ensures that the gerrymandering would pretty much work. And so that should be the legal threshold moving forward. Uh, if you run that equation, if it's ever shown that the that the gap is above the seven to eight ish percent uh, threshold, then that would be illegal uh, and so the problem with that is that there are critiques against the methodology, and in certain cases good outcomes would actually show up above that threshold, and there are methods to try and account for that uh, but uh, critics use that as sort of a legal leg to stand on
3: if i could uh, if I could uh put a little bit qualitative actually. I can't believe it's coming from me, spin uh, on that, is that uh, what we want is that the votes overall will represent the representatives that are elected, right? But how, like, if I am party green and my opponent is party yellow, how will I make sure that most of their votes are wasted? I have two ways to do it. Either I know that they are winning one district, I let them win that district and really have everybody there from that party, from the yellow party. So they won a district, they won a representative, but they wasted all the votes because they are all voting in that district. That's already theirs. On the other hand, if I have a few districts where I'm going to win I'll make sure that they are split between those districts in such an amount that they are coming short of the 50%. So I'm winning all these districts and they are still there voting, but never their vote never materializes to a representation. So that's kind of the evil way, in a way, the evil thinking, some of it behind uh, gerrymandering.
1: And I'll point out that this is true, not just in uh, Republican held states, but here in Massachusetts, if you look at our congressional delegation, we have nine Democratic delegates and uh, zero Republican delegates. And I don't have the number at my fingertips, but certainly 30 Uh, to 40% of Massachusetts residents are Republican. And so, again, if you did those efficiency gap calculations in Massachusetts, we would probably have a very uh, poorly districted state as well, uh, holding true to our name and famous uh, origins.
0: One of the, uh, I guess, most important pieces of legislation that exists right now uh, trying to combat the effects of gerrymandering, among many other things, is H.R. 1. And so um, does anyone have any ideas on how that exactly would play out or uh, how that would affect uh, gerrymandering moving forward?
3: You mean if passing, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and can you tell me why it won't pass?
3: Well,
2: we can't get rid of the filibuster, and we have Joe Manchin still saying he's not going to vote for it. So those are are two factors and why it may not pass. But, um the HR1 for the People Act, it's a far-reaching act about uh, federal elections, democracy, uh, campaign finance reform. But, uh, and, we, and we talk a lot about stopping the, the voting suppression laws across state by state by having a federal law. But in terms of gerrymandering, um, it basically will eliminate it because. What it does is it creates uniform rules for drawing up districts and enacts enforceable standards. Um, in, in 2016, the Republicans took control of 17 House seats by, by gerrymandering, according to the Bren, Brennan Center. And H.R. Uh, 1, if it should pass, um, should eliminate that because it creates stronger protections for minority communities. It would ban taking communities, uh, towns, or communities of shared outlook and ethnicity and language and splitting them up in order to dilute their votes. Um, And it would also reaffirm the congressional support of the Voting Rights Act. And support of the John Lewis Voting Act, um, and it would. The main thing it would do, though, is to require independent commissions, because those independent commissions would be drawing up the maps. Um, some states have this. Some states have passed this, as Michelle said, but um, not many.
3: <laughs> so, if 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 it doesn't pass, and the John Lewis Act does pass. Would that help with gerrymandering specifically?
2: It would help in terms of, of minority voters, but it wouldn't set up an independent commission. And that, I think, is going to be the biggest boon to truly representative government. Yeah, the commissions would have equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans and third-party members. They would not be able to... <laughs> Those members could not be recently unelected or retired lawmakers who've already served in the legislature. Um, the redistricting maps have to pass with the support of all the groups, so there's a lot of, of uh, compromise that will have to happen, and there's a lot of looking at hard data as opposed to shuffling people around. And uh, the, the independent districts at the excuse me the independent commissions have to have representation on them of the state's demographics whether it's a racial ethnic language minorities um, and again like the like the census figures these this would affect all states not just ones that are winning or losing a seat
1: so let's talk or think a second about what it would take in order to be able to get this bill passed. Clearly, we don't have the votes right now. Joe Manchin's made very clear he's not even going to vote for it, never mind be willing to give up the filibuster for it. So we can kind of consider this dead in the water through the 2022 cycle. Now, if by some miracle, we had a Democratic sweep in twenty twenty two. How much of a sweep would we need to have in order for the this kind of legislation to be able to be reintroduced and passed? You know, on based on my count, we would need at least two additional Senate seats um to be able to make up for Joe Manchin's vote against and Kristen Cinema who has indicated that she's certainly not going to give up the filibuster for it. So it looks like we need to flip at least two to three more Senate seats, maybe a fourth, and that's still going to require a filibuster breaking for that. And we would have to hold the Senate, and we would have to hold the House.
2: Right. And and that's that's a big, that's a lot of big ifs.
1: Yeah, it certainly is because it's, it's almost like the, uh, what do you call it? the, the the chicken egg problem, because we're not going to be able to have fair and free elections in order to elect a representative house and senate without a Voting Rights Act, and we can't get the Voting Rights Act passed without having a, a House and Senate that that's in favor of it.
2: And even even though the even though the term is over is used improperly, this really is a catch twenty two.
3: And it's uh, it's also we have to. Have a net gain of two plus those two have to be ones that are not going that to oppose breaking the filibuster for it, and that's you know they are the flip will happen in uh, states that are pretty conservative, so that's also a- another
1: question well I'm looking at Pennsylvania with John Fetterman in the lead. I'm thinking that he's going to be pretty supportive. We'll have to see who comes out of um, Ohio. Uh, There's a few states where we could, North Carolina, it could happen, but it won't happen in this cycle, I don't think.
0: At this point, uh, I do have a question. We've already discussed how redistricting would affect the presidential and House races. Um, Does anyone have any thoughts on how this would affect the Senate?
3: So speaking of the Senate, um, let's remember that the Senate is not impacted by Internal redistricting of the state. So uh, we kind of have the whole state. The only thing that is going to be impacted is the shift of the the demographic shift that might have happened, and maybe we have not realized it. We already realized it in the uh, presidential election because every state, of course, voted in the presidential election. Some of those states that will vote for uh, a, sen- the, a senator in these elections, those 34 or so, some of them might not have voted, definitely not for the same one, but may, might not have voted at all for a Senate seat, let's say, in 2020. So, um, you know, they either voted probably 2018 or 2020 for one seat and, of course, 2016 for that same seat. So... The only thing that may impact, and that may be even a positive, is a demographic shift in those states. So, if we have more um, groups that support the democratic democratic candidates, that may help in flipping a seat. Yeah, and actually, the demographic
1: data that I've seen um, actually backs that up. So, in the uh, five seat, or excuse me. Uh, four states that are gaining seats, uh, most of them have had a uh, a demographic shift to be more um, democratic, if you just look at the PVI back in 2012 versus the PVI in 2020. And those states that are losing electoral college votes actually had more of a Republican shift, which may actually be impacting their politics, right? If a state is not doing well oftentimes that pushes it more conservative um, and we're
3: seeing that in the actual in the way it's playing out in politics that would be like west and there is some overlap between those states and where the senate races are going that's to be that's correct yeah
0: so uh, just as a bit of a wild card question does anyone have any thoughts on what would make this system better if we could actually change it to be um, Just to create more fair representation, uh, maybe from the past or from other uh, countries.
1: One person, one vote. How about more more seats in the House of Representatives? If we actually had the number of seats that we were supposed to have based upon the Founding Father's original vision, we would have, I think, I can't remember the number, 4,500 congressional seats, which might be a little bit hard to manage, but might actually have Uh, much better representation of the
3: people uh, who are electing them. And I would say for the presidential election, no electoral college, you know, we are past this time.
0: So as we can see, redistricting will have vast effects uh, on the upcoming elections. Would anyone like to add any final comments or talk about uh, anything that they've not discussed yet? So
3: what, one thing, we we're talking about the the upcoming election. It's not clear how much impact it will have on the upcoming election just in terms of timing. If we are getting the results only in September, that will take some months, even if it's all, you know, being redistricted, and there will be court ch- challenges. So And that may take a while. And, of course, you start to have primaries already, uh, starting early next year so we may see it only in 2024 as i said one hot mess
0: (laughs) well i think that's going to wrap it up for us today uh i want to thank each of you for joining the conversation it was great uh talking uh and i'm sure we will have a lot to say about this moving forward thanks a lot rena for joining
3: thank you all it's
1: always a blast thanks for getting us together nick
0: Here we go This has been another episode of Represent and Elect 535 Podcast. Make sure you subscribe in whatever your preferred choice of podcast uh, app is. And we'll talk soon.